Newscast, maybe you have, does anybody have family or friends in Ukraine? Okay, I didn't know if that would be true for our community. I have students that I teach that have, uh, one of my students, her grandparents live in the capital. And so um, obviously how this is hitting her is going to be different than what we're hitting. And so we just can't even fathom or imagine the reality of it. But it's horrible. And we want to be able to pray. If all we can do is prayer, then we pray. But also knowing that prayer is the most important thing that we can do. And so we're going to do this a little bit differently. Um, rather than just me praying, we're going to pray as a community. And so um, there's uh, a ministry called 24-7 Prayer that um, has created this really uh, powerful prayer, uh, corporate prayer that we're going to participate in right now. And so uh, can you put the first screen? So I will um, read the first portion of this. Um, actually, the next one, sorry. Um, I will read the first portion of this, and then we'd like everyone to um, repeat the second part, the two Lamb of God lines. And so I'll read the first portion, then we'll all see the Lamb of God lines, and there's a couple different slides on here, okay? So in that, let's pray for Ukraine. Father God, King of all nations, we cry out to you now for the people of Ukraine. We ask you to rescue those who are vulnerable from the hands of their enemies, that they may live without fear before you, all their days. Lord of Lords and Prince of Peace, our politicians are predicting the biggest war in Europe since 1945, and we simply cry out to you urgently to write another story in our time. Thwart the dark... Uh, machinations of evil men give wisdom beyond human wisdom to peacemakers seeking an equitable and less violent way may politicians exercise the wisdom from above which is peace peaceable gentle willing to yield and full of mercy Holy Spirit, we pray for the church in Ukraine, a nation in which 70% of the population call themselves Christian. Give our many brothers and sisters in that nation courage in this crisis that they may proclaim the good news of your kingdom, bind up broken hearts, and bring comfort to all who mourn. You, Lord, make wars cease to, to the end of the earth. You break bows, shatter spears, and burn shields with fire. And so we ask you now to save the lives of many in Ukraine. Make a peace that is strong and not weak. De-escalate this crisis. We hear of wars and rumors of war, but you, Lord, are our rock, our fortress, and our deliverer. Our hope is in you, and we address the nations now. In the name of Jesus, we say, be still and know God. He is exalted among the nations. He shall be exalted in the earth. Amen. I just want to ask that you continue to be obviously praying for Ukraine, pray for the people um, that are uh, just experiencing this warfare. Uh, we want to pray for Russia, 
We want to pray um, that this entire thing would de-escalate. Uh, we want to pray for our world. Um, if there's anything that shows us the need for the Lord, it's this. Um, and the idea that God gives us free will to make choices. We see what happens when we choose things that don't glorify him. And so we need to just be praying. And so again, remind you about Wednesday night. Uh, if you can join us within that, that would be phenomenal. And I know we just prayed, but I want to pray again as we open the word uh, briefly this morning. God, I pray you be with our church uh, as we go into your word. I thank you, God, for how you've been encouraging us, uh, uh, challenging us, reminding us of who we are in you. I pray, God, that you would uh, bring us continually back to our identity as your children. Thank you so much for Gabby, Lord. Thank you for um, being able to just celebrate her baptism. Thank you for the example and the servant that she is in this place. I pray you bless her. Uh, I just pray you be with us now, Spirit. Move in this room. Let us hear from you. Uh, those who are at home, move where they are. I pray that you would just speak to us and let us hear what we need to hear in your name. Amen. Uh, join me in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And so if you want to um, click to that or turn to that, if you're uh, not sure where it is, if you're using the Pew Bible, there's a table of uh, contents in the very beginning, so no shame using that. Make sure uh, it's, it's toward the second half of the Bible, though. Um, this month, we have been talking about some of the different aspects of what it means to have your identity in Jesus. That is, we ask the question, who am I? We believe that the best way to answer that question is in a relationship with him. Uh, this is what the baptism is, is celebrating that reality of people finding their life in Jesus. And so there's a lot of different aspects of this, but the things that we've been talking about over the last month is in how we answer that question of who I am, who am I in Jesus, is that I am a child of God. He loves me immensely, constantly, and endlessly. We talked about the fact that I'm an ambassador we are called to represent him in all, all aspects of our life. We don't compartmentalize our faith, but we are showing Jesus in every minute of our lives. Last week, Dr. Neely was uh, with us and talked about the fact that we are part of a family. Uh, so the importance of doing faith together, of being active together. And the last one we want to talk about today is the idea of I am a servant. I am a servant. Now, when we hear that one, that one might sound a little bit different than the others at first. You know, child of God, oh, that's really encouraging. Ambassador, ooh, that's nice and empowering. Family, great, I'm not alone. Servant, whoa, what? And so definitely a little bit of a difference from the other three, but this is indeed central what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. The chil children of God are servants. Children of God are servants. It says in Philippians chapter 2, the beginning there, it says, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and symphony, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, uh, when I was in high school, I played high, uh, soccer and I played basketball. Soccer was more my main sport. I, lo I loved a lot, but I played basketball as well. And, you know, different trainings and, you know, the, 
the summer kind of getting in shape and my kids are doing sports now and so it's cool to kind of encourage them and remind them that I don't have to do that anymore and, um, and just all of that. But there's a lot that goes into it. But there's one goal, the thing that both sports have in common, even though there's a lot of differences, the one thing that they have in common is that they both only have one goal for you to shoot at, one hoop for you to shoot toward. There's one goal and we're trying to shoot for that. We are collectively working together to get the ball in the net. That's the sport in a most minuscule, minimal description. Trying to work together to get the ball in the net. Now you can imagine the chaos if there was a different goal for every player. If every player on the team was trying to do something else, trying to shoot at a different goal, trying to do different things, it would be mayhem. People bumping into each other, tripping over each other, getting mad at each other, blaming each other for missed shots. If everybody was trying to just do their own thing, it would be chaos. It no longer would be a sport. It would just be an all-out, every-person-for-themselves battle. One goal, one team working together, for that goal. Paul is explaining to us is that when it means to be a child of God is that you are part of a unified community with one goal. We are working together to make him known. He says he gives all these if statements that really can be taken as since. So since you know there is encouragement, since you have comfort from his love, since there is participation in the Spirit, since there is affection and sympathy in the love of Jesus, since that is all true, and that's all the stuff that Jesus has done, how he's redeemed us, how he's brought us together, how he gives us new life and us new identities. Since Jesus has done all of that, then Paul says, then make me a proud coach and live that out. If I'm the coach of this team, Paul says, if I'm the one who's trying to help here, we all know what Jesus has done, and so we need to work together, we need to be unified to be like him and make him known. Be a team with one goal. Don't be selfish, don't be arrogant, don't worry about being MVP, don't put your personal stats against the team, and what we're trying to do. He says being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He kind of says a similar thing in 1 Corinthians 12 where he says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Each one of you is part of this body. You are each one a part of the body of Christ and you are a part of it. You are part of what makes it what it is. And he gives the description of an actual body with feet and hands and arms and guts and all the different things. And says with all the different parts that make up the physical body, there's a lot of different parts that make up the body of Christ and you're part of it. And in that chapter, in talking about the church being like a body, he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. I don't need that. I don't need this. I don't need, I'm okay by myself. No, that's not how a body works. And that's not how the body of Christ works. A body needs all of its parts working together. And when you have a relationship with Jesus, you need all of the parts of the body working together. And they need you. 
Put everyone else's needs before your own, he says. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He's not saying ignore your interests. He's just making, making sure we realize your interests aren't the only things that exist. And so he says, be a servant. This is in essence what he's telling them. You need to look out for others. You need to be concerned with others' interests. You need to be humble yourself, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, and see who they are as significant. Man, that's a convicting question to think about. Do I look around this room and see the different people here as significant? I mean, typically, I mean, anytime there's a big group of people, and it doesn't mean that you're going to meet every single person and know every single person and have a really close, tight-knit relationship with every single person, because that's not a healthy expectation. But we will know some, and we will get to know others, and, but within I see the people here, I'm part of this, and that person is significant. Man, that's telling us that as believers in a church, you can't see people as just faces in a crowd. That's telling us that we can't just have acquaintances that we bump into. Strangers in the same room, week in and week out. Are the other people in this place, when you look at them, they're significant? That's the perspective that Paul is telling us to have. Everyone else, we need to be, and again, that is, to be a servant, to be thinking about others in this way, this is incredibly countercultural. In a world that is me, mine, and what more can I get out of it, this mindset goes against the culture. But the reality is, the culture's mindset is weak and has a lack of strategy. And the reason why I say that is because if we go with the basic idea of a cultural perspective of me, mine, and more, what can I get out of it? If I'm only thinking about my perspective, then how many people are looking out for me? One. But if I think of other people more significant than myself, and I'm looking out for others, and I'm thinking about what, what are their needs, what interests do they have, then how many people are looking out for me? Well, the reality is that if, if I have that mentality, I'm not going to think of myself as much. I, I mean, I have my things and they're important, but I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to think about everyone else is more significant and how can I be a part of what's going on in their life and how can I help them and how can I be a servant to them? If I'm doing that with all of you and you all have that same perspective, then that means you don't just have one person looking out for you. You have this many people looking out for you. The perspective of the church that Jesus tells us to be puts you in a more caring environment than a cultural perspective of just look out for yourself. To only look out for yourself means you're going to be cared for less. It means that actually you're going to have less of a significance. But in a community, there are people who are looking at you and saying, they, that person is significant. And I'm concerned about them. What's going on with them? 
that I can come alongside of. This is why the idea of distancing yourself from community is like sending yourself to the showers mid-game. It's to take yourself out and be, a, like we've seen different things, especially like really big games where people get, have to leave the game early. It's like, oh, they can't be a part of that. When there's an injury or they do something stupid or something like that, it can be like, oh, they're missing the game. But for somebody just to go, you know what, I'm done, I'm out, I'm going to leave. Like, what are you doing? I don't, I don't want to be a part. I can do this on my own over here. No, you can't do this on your own because doing it's here. It's with others. We cannot be separated from the reality of the church to do church. To say, I'm going to do, I can do faith on my own is a misunderstanding of faith. I can do the Jesus thing by myself is to misunderstand what Jesus wants for you. We need one another. We need to be in community. There are people that need to know that somebody has their back and you need to know that people have your back. And you can't do that in isolation. We need to be in a community that has a mutual interest to look out for one another and to serve for one another. People avoid the community of Christ, try to do it alone, for some, it's because of the difficulty that they've experienced. And I completely get that. We have bad examples of how churches should be, bad examples of how other church leaders can be. And that's a real thing. And if you've experienced that, I resonate with that. I've been in environments like that. It's horrible, it's painful, and it causes damage. And so I affirm those realities. But I tell you, having lived through that, to please give God a chance and to know that not all communities are like that. And so if that's your story, do not avoid what God wants to, how God wants to help you and encourage you and grow you in a church community because another church community failed at that. Give another community a chance. For others, we might distance ourselves from being servants to being part of a community because we've put so much other time and energy and, and priority on other things that are important, but we've put them over being part of a faith community. And for some of us, we need to start thinking through our priorities and making sure that we are being the people of God he has called us to do. When servanthood defines a community, the, the, through, through and through, there is encouragement, comfort, participation, affection, and sympathy. And you don't want to miss that. Let each of us, each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. When you walk into this place, are you thinking, what am I going to get today? Or are you thinking, what can I be a part, how can I be a part of what God is doing today? Are you thinking, how is this going to encourage me? Or are you thinking, how can I encourage others? Again, it isn't that you shouldn't get encouragement and you shouldn't get anything, but the consumer mentality of our world has to die. This is not about me getting my order right. This is about me being part of something greater than myself. And that's what church is supposed to be like. And so maybe that's the thing you needed to be challenged with today. Do I look at church as just like, oh, I came in, I ordered a religious experience, I should get that, that's good, right? Or is it, I'm part of something. 
And the reality is, is that this place, church community, is so much richer and deeper and sweeter and more powerful when you are coming in and thinking, this place is full of significant people. And I can encourage them. And I can assist, and I can help them. And I can be a part of them growing. And whatever that might be and however God's made me, and you're missing out on what the depth and the amazement of faith and a relationship, that part of a relationship with God, if you're not living as a servant. God's children are servants. The, if, it's one thing to say that and to be told to look out for others more, as more significant than yourselves. It's another thing to do it. Thankfully, we have an example. Children of God have a servant example to imitate. It says in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of humanity and being found in human form. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Put that another way. Have, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Imitate Jesus. Imitate him in everything you are. Well, what attitude did he have that we're trying to imitate? Who, though he was in the form of God, Jesus has always been divine, equal to God, on the throne. Anything we can say about the Father, we can say about Jesus. All-powerful, all-knowing, perfect in every way. And in that, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being, in, being born in the likeness of men. It didn't mean, it doesn't mean that Jesus stopped being God. Like there was a little plug on the back of his neck and they pulled that out and all the God came pouring out. That's not what happened when he became a human. What it means is he didn't allow who he was as God to be an excuse to stay on the throne. He didn't exploit his status to avoid entering humanity. He emptied or let go of his right to stay only divine. He willingly humbled himself to the point of becoming not only one of us, but arriving specifically as a servant. Again, how countercultural is that? We want to get above people, show our power, show our control. I'm better than you. Jesus' example was to let go of all of that thinking. He was, ab he was above all people, has control over all, but he lowered himself and he served. To what extent? Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Easter is coming up. Crucifixion was the most debased, humiliating death, something reserved for the worst of criminals, the lower classes. Privileged people didn't even speak of these things. But the son's obedience to the father was clear. Enter their world and serve them. Their sin will be displayed and in that, their need evident. And so when we look at the cross, we see the fullest expression of our wrongdoings, of our sin. We killed Jesus. Our sin put him on the cross. 
in serving us, he bears our sins, willingly taking them upon himself. But, in the, but when we look to the empty tomb, we see the fullest extent of his power. He conquered sin and death, making it possible for us to know forgiveness, to know life without shame, without purpose, with purpose, with hope and joy. Jesus, fully div- divine, fully God, willingly stepped out of eternity and entered our time and space. And that is the example that he gave us. He was willing to enter our time and space. And we need to imitate that example. Don't worry only about you. Be a servant. Enter into somebody else's time and space. Be present with them. Serve and help and show them love. Author Bob Goff says this, I used to want to fix people, but now I just want to be with them. I've learned that faith isn't about knowing all the right stuff or obeying a list of rules. It's something more, something more costly because it involves being present and making a sacrifice. Perhaps that's why Jesus is sometimes called Emmanuel, God with us. I think that's what God had in mind, for Jesus to be present, to be with us. It's also what he has in mind for us when, he comes to other, when it comes to other people. The world can make you think that love can be picked up at a garage sale or enveloped in a Hallmark card. But the kind of love that God created and demonstrated is a costly one because it involves sacrifice and presence. It's a love that operates more like a sign language than being spoken outright. What I've learned about the brand of love Jesus offers is that it's more than the, about presence than undertaking a project. It's a brand of love that doesn't just think about good things or agree with them or talk about them. It's the simple truth that continues to weave itself into the tapestry of every great story. Love does something. Love is present. And that is the example that we have to have. Are you following Jesus' example of servanthood? Are you entering into somebody's time and space? being there with them not just hey how can i help you how can i be with this what do you need me to do give me a checklist to accomplish so i feel like i did something for you that isn't helping somebody all the time being present with them being with them through something in something good or bad whatever it is along the spectrum but being present what does that look like because the reality is church this is our mandate This is what Jesus calls us to. He says in John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He says in Matthew 22, love your Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, but the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Being this type of a person isn't an elective. It's not optional. Whether it's people inside the family of God or outside the family of God, we are defined as being people who serve and love and are present the same way Jesus is. And that's going to be the challenge for you and I. Who is the person that when you look at them, it's just like, ugh. But the reality is, is that you cannot look into the eyes of a person ever 
that God doesn't love. There is no one that God does not care about. There is no one that God doesn't love. There is no one that he doesn't want a relationship with. And so our disposition toward everyone as we are always interacting with somebody that Jesus loves. And so we need to show them love as well. Sure, that might be tough love at times, but that doesn't reality that we never pause the love of God with interacting with somebody because God never pauses his love when he interacts with us. And so we have an example to follow. We're defined as servants, we have an example to follow, and we have a servant goal. Children of God have a servant goal, which we see in verses 9 to 11. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to the name of God the Father. That Jesus would be exalted in all things, that his name would receive all the praise that it's due. So does that mean that the, I mean, that might sound a little weird. Does that mean that the goal, the whole point of this, that people would just end up walking through all of life praising Jesus all the time? Yeah. Because every minute of your day, how you live should praise Jesus all the time. It doesn't mean you're going to be singing a song, but your life should be doing that. And so there isn't anything that you would be doing. Your actions, your work, your school, your neighbor, that person that you don't care for, whatever that might be, you should be praising Jesus in how you live. Every moment of our lives should exalt Jesus. And so the goal of being a servant then is making him known. John the Baptist put it this way, he must become greater and I must become less. He must become everything. It doesn't mean that Jesus was trying to become famous the way that we think about that. He but he wants to be known. He wants people to know him. And if the only thing that we can get out of something is interaction, is that people were familiar with us and they don't experience the love of God, then something's wrong. The goal of a servant is to make him known. Sometimes people can be a servant and do servant-like things for the wrong reasons. Some people may serve because of the religious thrill, the adrenaline that comes from it. That's my thing. I love to help people. Others hear the thanks and the proverbial applause, and that's what they're looking for. And there, though, there are bad reasons, so this, we have to check our hearts. Why am I doing what I'm doing? But if you check your hearts and you realize you're not doing what you're doing for the right reasons, the fix is not to stop doing things. It's to start doing them for the right reasons. We need to be servants. We need to make him known. And so how do you do that? What does that look like for you? You might not know the answer and that's fine, but just wanting to is where you need to be. You can learn your gifting. You can learn how God sh shaped you. You can learn the ways that God has for you to be part of the world. But you got to want that. And so first off the bat, do you want to be obedient in this and you want to be the child of God he's made you to be, to be able to share the amazing love that he's given with you and help people experience that where they are? Do you want that? Because if not, that's the heart check you need to figure out why. Because if you don't, maybe you don't understand the depth and the immensity of God's love for you. 
Because if you truly understand the immensity of God's love for you, that's going to pour out of you and you want to share it with others. Because you realize how much you needed it and they needed it as well. Do you want to be a servant of Jesus? Once you get that heart in the right place, then it starts, well, in the moments, we might have a moment where we can step in and do something, but what is it, how has he made you and how has he fashioned you? That's where you can start dreaming a little bit, discovering your gifting, be part of what's happening in here. But do not be passive. Do not be on the bench. Do not send yourself to the showers. Be part of what God is doing in this place and wherever he's placed you because he wants people to know who he is and that happens when his kids serve. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much just for your love for us. We thank you for the manner in which you came to serve us, that we would know life, that we would know forgiveness, that we would know grace and mercy. God, I pray that you would help us to imitate you. I pray that you would help us to reflect you and pattern who we are after who you are. God, I pray that you would help us to see the opportunities that are right in front of our face throughout our weeks where we can help someone or come alongside someone. Even in our own homes, God, in our classes, in our work, wherever that might be. But God, also help us to see how we can be a part of what you're doing in this place and through this place. We thank you that we are part of the body. We thank you that we are not alone. We are, thank you, God, that it's not dependent on us, but that we get to be a part of something greater than ourselves. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to see the significant people in here that you have placed us amongst, that we can love as you have loved us. We ask this all in your name. Amen. Let's stand and we're going to close in this last song.